Hello, listeners, and welcome to yet another episode of Story Screen Presents, and this time you are signing up to listen to Cathode Raycast, the podcast where we talk about everything television. And since you have already clicked on this specific episode, you know what we're about to get into. You might not know what content you're about to get into, but we're going to have some fun today. I'm your host, Bernadette Gorman-White, and I'm here for a very special episode where my guest and I are chatting about The Undoing, and today I'm joined by Rhea Banerjee. Hello, how are you? Good. I'm very excited to talk to you about this show. We typically, um, when I'm planning out a show, it's usually something that I'm interested in talking about, and then I choose the guests from there. But I feel like when we have conversations together, it's usually because you and I have gotten in touch with each other previously and we're both very into something or very not into something. <laughs> exactly. We're either, we're either geeking out or we're like, what? What? <laughs> what are we watching? Uh, and uh, I, I believe what we're about to talk about falls into the latter category. <laughs> um, and we and you and I have been uh, we've been uh, conversing about this electronically text email uh, for for a while uh, in bafflement. So it's, I'm, I'm glad we, we we've got this chance to be face to face, even virtually to <laughs> to kind of to kind of process what it is we've watched so uh so i'm excited yeah it's been interesting even more so i think in quarantine and lockdown where i've been watching a lot of things that i maybe otherwise wouldn't have watched just because things are kind of like in the you know the discussion and so you're online a lot you're looking into like what's coming out next um what is kind of the thing that people are talking about and so people were talking about the undoing and I had people that I like, and I was like, all right, I'll sign up for this. And I watched the first episode, and I'm like, hmm, don't think I like this, but I'm intrigued (laughs) in a train wreck scenario. That's that's kind of exactly how I felt. You know, what what ended up happening, I I, I take it that The Undoing aired around Thanksgiving of last year, and it became kind of everybody's uh, quarantine Thanksgiving binge watch sort of thing. Um. I, I wasn't aware of it until until I was writing I, I believe it was when I was writing the the Paddington uh piece that I wrote for for Story Screen. Um and uh of course Nicole Kidman plays the villain in the first Paddington, Hugh Grant plays the villain in the second Paddington. <laughs> and then I'm I'm researching that and then uh it turns out they have they'd never worked together on a project until the undoing. And I was like, what is the undoing? Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant t- together that sounds great. What could go wrong? Fantastic. <laughs> so, so, so Tim and I were like, well, this, this, it's HBO. Uh, it's David E. Kelly. You know, there's, there's a lot of really, really good things going for it. And we sat down and we watched the first episode and it was much the same thing. We were like, what, what are we watching? And we don't really understand like I remember we kind of looked at each other afterwards and I was like I don't really understand where this is going 
but I'm still curious. I don't, and again, it was a thing I was like, do I like this? I don't know. Kind of not. But I, I want to see where they're taking this because I could see potentially some interesting places for it to go. And just to remind myself, I'm a masochist. So I, I got my, <laughs> I, I told you this, I got my, my COVID vaccine last week. Um, and then I was down with some of the side effects that people have been getting. And I was like, I need to have something completely ridiculous or, you know, doesn't require a lot of brain power to watch as I drift in and out of my flu-like fugue state. Right. Um, <laughs> so I, I put the undoing back on and I was like, oh, even even in my incapacitated state, this show is enraging me. And, uh, <laughs> like, you know, from the first episode, I thought I thought it was going to go down some interesting some interesting roads about agreed cl- about class and i think that might have been what 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 propelled us to watch the second episode <laughs> cuz we thought it was going to be you know there's there's a scene i don't know i mean uh, hopefully people listening to this have, have watched the show as well um yeah, we but can if get not into it. if yeah yeah but you know briefly nicole kidman and uh hugh grant are married they're jonathan and grace fraser they have a 12 year old son who goes to a private school and um, there is a mother of a scholarship child named Miguel. Her name is Elena. She is a new parent at the school. And it is revealed that she hadn't been having an affair with Jonathan. And uh, and then we'll get into the rest of it. But there's a scene early on in episode one where, like, the, the mothers, the rich mothers of this private school are getting together to plan a fundraiser. And... Elena, as the new mother, she shows up, she has an infant, and her son is on scholarship, and it's, you know, there's a lot, you know, she's a lot younger than the other mothers. There's a lot of uh, class markings that were happening in that scene that, mm-hmm. you know, she was she was obviously very out of place in that environment, maybe felt uncomfortable. Grace is a psychologist and, and sort of, you know, so very, very in tune to people's emotional states and was kind of, kind of, you know, picking up on that and... You know, even even telling her husband later on that it it felt a little vulgar to be talking about these high ticket auction items in front of her, and right. And so I, I thought that it was going to be more of an exploration of you know this this sort of class differential. You know, and it's, this is like an Upper East Side location. It's funny they I, it looks like they filmed maybe three blocks away from my old workplace. We were watching it, and I was like. We walk by that store every day going to the subway. Uh, (laughs) I recognize that. And also, it's very strange. It was very strange to be under lockdown watching a show that had been filmed in 2019 and seeing people and no masks and public spaces with children playing in the park and, you know, just like that, that whole thing. Um, You know, and then (laughs) and then the first episode ends with uh Jonathan Hugh Grant he claims he's gone off to a medical conference in Cleveland and there's been news that Elena has been murdered and this is now big gossip at the school and sh- and and Grace can't reach Jonathan and she doesn't even know what hotel he was going to be <laughs> staying at on his business trip and i was like already this is a little strange 
why wouldn't she? I mean, like, back in the days of travel, like, when, you know, when Tim had to go on a trip, I'd get his itinerary, I'd get his flight details, his hotel details, just just to know. I wasn't going to necessarily be, you know, blowing up his phone the whole time, but right. just you want to know where the person's going to be. And so then she's like, the episode ends with... Her, like, dialing every hotel in the Cleveland area trying to find him. Asking for Jonathan Fraser. Asking for, for Jonathan Fraser. Can, you know, can I have Jonathan Fraser's room? And then they're like, there's no one of that man staying here. Nope, no record of that person here. And then they connect him or they connect her and a woman picks up the phone and you're like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then it's like, it's not the right Jonathan Fraser. It's <laughs> right. Like, and, and then I was like... <laughs> I don't understand. And then the episode ends. And it's like, I'm like, I, I, I don't understand where this is going. And two, I think that that's like a, a pretty common trope in like older sitcoms where like, or even dramas where the, the couple, it's meant to show the viewers that like, oh, these couples have such interesting, complex lives outside of their marriage of that they don't even yeah. have to know this information about the other. And I guess maybe for a while that used to play. But now when you watch something like that, I agree with you. It's like, no, you would know what your partner was doing. You would know yeah. where they were. You would at least know the hotel name, if nothing right. else. You know, maybe not the airline and his seat number, but like you'd at least know he was staying at the Hilton or whatever. Right. Uh, Mar Marriott Courtyard. I don't know. Whatever, <laughs> you know, or you would know he's he claims he's going to a medical conference. She's also a medical professional. I mean, she's not he's a he's a pediatric oncologist. She's a psychologist. But like you'd think that she would even kind of know like what was the name of the conference, what right. was the topic of the conference, was he going there to speak, was he going there to attend? She knows nothing. She just he just he just says, oh, by the way, emergency like when they're on conference. their way to the school, yeah, exactly, emergency call, and then you know you know I've got to fly to Cleveland in the morning, and so and she's like, oh yeah, of course, right, the the, the conference in Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like this is this is strange. This is a strange relationship. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> and, and I thought maybe like their obtuseness to each other, especially with Grace's character, I thought it would eventually lead to a more interesting exploration of her being a faulty narrator. But she was she wasn't a faulty narrator. She just was a character who didn't have information. And had to act right. as if she didn't understand what was going on. But she wasn't a real person. Right. She was like a cipher. It was all kind of like she just things happened to her. And then, you know, and then this is where I'm I'm going to get really critical of I'm going to get critical of the writing and I'm going to get critical yes. of the directing, too, because it was like she was she was confused because now all of a sudden her husband is for some reason a suspect in the murder of Elena and she's in a police station answering questions and and they're just showing close-ups of her her eyes just darting around <laughs> just darting around and and she's confused and her eyes and more of her eyes and then zoom out oh there's a like a video camera in the interrogation zoom back in on her eyes and I'm like Nicole Kidman can act right you can I've show seen her, her face I, you can show her face she's a talented actress uh we we don't need the 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 you know like five minutes of bug eye shots to to know that this is a very confusing and disorienting experience for her um 
Yes. So, so <laughs> I'm just like, I don't understand the the directorial, the cinema, the 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 cinematography choices. Um, yeah, if it like led to like a bigger thing of like, oh, the show is trying to show, um, like what it's like to look through another person's eyes and live that person's life. Sure, right. if they use right. like the weird shots that they choose to especially with Nicole Kidman, her character, if they right. chose to connect that with greater tissue to other things going on in the show, sure, maybe we'll give it a pass. But right. yeah, those shots that you're talking about are just for no apparent reason. They're for no apparent reason, and they're bizarre <laughs> and uh, and weird. And some of them also seem to be shot with a fisheye lens, which makes it we- – it's already weird, and then you're distorting it and making it weirder. Uh, and it's like, yeah, I, I get it. She's she's confused. Uh, right. And she's upset. And also I get it. I get it. kind of angry. <clears throat> get it. Yeah. <laughs> right. We get it. We get it. You know. Um, you know, and then there was at that point where, where, and I don't know if this is this is how you felt. Somewhere at that point, and I believe it was as soon as episode two that we got the bug eye shots in the police station. Uh, Tim and I were like, this show is bad. <laughs> yes. But... <laughs> But but we want to, well, for some reason, we want to know what happened because it is it is so bad that we almost want to see how they write. Maybe they're going to write themselves out of this in a in a compelling way. Maybe maybe there's something, you know, because because basically what ends up happening is is uh, Jonathan fled New York City uh he says upon he discovered Elena's murdered body in her art studio and he panicked and he fled and then he comes back and of course he's immediately arrested he's charged he's the only viable suspect in the murder he was the last person who saw her his fingerprints all over her studio they'd had they'd had sex right before the 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 murder so you know his dna is literally everywhere he's and there's no no sign of any other person who had been in her art studio the night of her murder. So all signs are pointing to him doing it, but he is just really, really just vociferously saying, no, it was not me. I found her dead and I panicked. I'm not a murderer. I'm not capable of killing her. Yes, I'm a terrible person. I admitted I had an affair. That's very bad. I know. Right. Um, but I did kind of love her, which is just like, okay. Um, <laughs> And then, you know, and then and then the story just becomes about the the trial, the investigation and the trial and how Grace is sort of trying to process every single development that occurs. And, of course, every single development that comes up in the investigation and in the trial prep just points even more towards Jonathan being responsible Right. But he's still saying, no, 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 it wasn't me. It wasn't me. And then he's got this um, dogged defense attorney um, who I think was – I'm going to look up the actress's name because I thought she did a very good job with thankless material. Yes. I will say that. I agree. Um, I, I can I think, say that for a few of the people who were in this show. Yes. It's not yes. all bad. Some people did the best they could with the very they, little that they had. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. So, um, Haley Fitzgerald, I'm just pulling up my little, her name is Noma Dumizweni, um, and I believe she is, uh, she's English, she's, Mm -hmm. uh, mostly a theater, theater performer, and she, she was called into, this is another 
I'm going to go off on a tangent, and I don't. That's I don't what this mean is for. <laughs> yes, I don't mean to be um, dismissive of people with non-American accents. Of course, in a city like New York, it, it's very diverse. Um, but it seemed clear in episode one that we were to assume that everybody except for Hugh Grant was American and. They cast a lot of non-American actors in these roles. You know, Nicole Kidman, obviously, is Australian. Uh, uh, Noah Jupe, who played their son, he's also English. Yes. Um, Donald Sutherland, he's Canadian. I have never heard him sounding more Canadian (laughs) in my life than on this show. I was all of a sudden just, I was like, oh, right, he's Canadian. And why does he sound like, you know, nobody was... And the thing is, I think they were trying to make everybody sound American. They I think were trying they were. to make it. They were trying to make everybody very New York. And then Jonathan is is the outsider because he's English, and you know Elena and her family are sort of outsiders because they're you know they're Latina, Latino, Latina, Latinx. Oh dear, um, but that's not even necessarily bizarre in New York City, right? So you know. Um, so they had Hugh Grant be English because, you know, part of what made the character work is that he had to, he has to be as Hugh Granty as possible in order for the audience to suspend their disbelief enough to Think want to. Maybe he didn't do it. Yeah, exactly. To, to want to root for him. I was never rooting for him because it was so completely obvious that he did it. Uh, and and and. You know, and then again, I was like, oh, maybe there's a twist. Maybe there's a twist. Maybe there's a twist. Um, but as the show progressed, I felt that Nicole Kidman, her American accent started slipping more and more and more. And by the last episode of the series, she was just full-blown Australian. <laughs> um, you know, Donald Sutherland, uh, my favorite line in this entire series is when he, he Donald Sutherland plays Franklin, Grace's very wealthy father mm-hmm. who apparently does nothing all day long except sit in art art galleries and museums staring at his favorite favorite paintings and donating a lot of money to the private school that his son attends. Um, my favorite line in the series is, you know, he never liked Jonathan and he's warning Grace, you know, you know, he's basically saying, I think he did it, you know. I you, never liked you need him. To, and- I never liked him. Uh, you need to leave him. This is very bad. And he goes... He is a monster. He is a monster. And then like, <laughs> and it's so Canadian. And for days afterwards, Tim and I would just turn to each other and be like, monster. <laughs> and it's, I don't want to make fun of people with accents. That's not what I'm doing here. But, but these, but this was supposed to be a, a, a New York American show. And then at some point they just, the only person who maintained their American accent is Noah Jupe, the son the, the British boy who plays their American son. Both the Haley Fitzgerald and the woman who plays the prosecuting attorney, I think she's Dutch. <laughs> I, I, and was trying to sound American and was, neither of them were doing a particularly good job. And I did not understand because it was, it, it felt in all cases like they were all starting out strong, trying to sound American. And then everybody slipped except for Noah Jupe. And by the end of the show, it was just this melange of uh, random accents. Random accents. (laughs) 
and, and and again, then I go back to you know that's sloppy directing. Um, so why uh, why did that happen? Why was that allowed to happen? I also noticed that there were there started to be inconsistencies in how they were pronouncing the last name of the protagonist. Oh, no. They're supposed to be Frasier, and by the time the trial comes around, they're calling it's they're sometimes they're pronouncing it Fra- the Fraser. To Grace and Jonathan's credit, they're they're saying they're Frasier, but everyone's saying Fraser all of a sudden, and I'm like, why did why? Uh, you know, and these are you know small details, but these are important details. That's the that's these are yes. the main characters' names. Yes. Um. So, yes, I agree with you. Uh, if there is source material that they were working from, and um, and I too, um, I, I I know it was based on a book. I don't know what the last name of the characters were in the book. Um, but yes, if if there was source material that had their last name uh spelled specified in a certain way uh that is something that the production team of this show could have very easily uh corrected um it is interesting that you mention the book because uh i again i i i don't know a whole lot about the book i don't remember offhand the name of the the writer who wrote the the story that this was based on um but i do know that the book is actually not about the events of the murder and the trial. Um, it is actually about what happens to Grace after her husband is convicted of the murder and she basically takes her son and relocates somewhere upstate and is trying to rebuild her life and kind of understand that the life she had been living or thought she had been living was, you know, not at all what she thought, what, what, it, what it was. It was a, it was a lie and kind of trying to, kind of re try to rebuild. And, um, interesting. And I think that's an interesting story. And then I think, I think the, I think what ended up happening was David E. Kelly had read the book and had, um, you know, bought the rights to it and wanted to make an adaptation. And then he connected up with, and I'm going to look up the name of the woman who did the directing, because I believe she directed every single I believe she did as episode. well. That's yes. interesting that you are mentioning that because the book is called You Should Have Known. And then so yes. they wanted yes. to like make the precursor of that to be like, this right. is the thing you should have known about. Right, exactly, exactly. Her name is Suzanne Beer, and I know that she is a film director. Um, uh, I, I believe she's also Dutch, like the like the actress who played the um, the prosecuting attorney on the show. Okay, um, and I think she uh, she's also an executive producer. She she David E. Kelly and Nicole Kidman are all executive producers on this show. Um, I think and that leads to problems, but yes, yes, go on. <laughs> yes, I would, I would, I would agree. Um, and and so I guess David David Kelly approached Susanna Beer with this project, saying, "I would like to adapt. Um, you should have known for TV." And she talked him into, "No, no, no. Let's not do the book. Let's do 
the prequel, like, so to speak, of the book. And, um, and that might be exactly where it started to go wrong because they're basically, they're, they're basically almost inventing the story from scratch. I'm sure in the book they cover, you know, what happened to the Grace character before she relocates and tries to put together her life, but perhaps not in this kind of detail. So it, it, it seems like they they decided they wanted to write a a whack ass crazy murder mystery <laughs> and and have that be the the story. And um I don't know. I feel like I I feel like it it could have worked and I just you know I I I've been a fan of David E. Kelly as a writer and as a you know as a showrunner for a very, very long time. I mean um my mother used to watch L.A. Law in the 80s, and that was, you know, one of his first big breaks. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's the guy who's responsible for Chicago Hope and Ally right. McBeal and The Practice and Boston Legal. And, you know, he's he's got some pedigree. Um, I do know that he also was responsible for a show on HBO called Big Little Lies, which Correct. was Reese Witherspoon. I watched that as well, but also I did too. kind of in a similar I, way to The Undoing. Yes, yes, <laughs> I was crazy after, for I, it, but right, yeah. After I actually, I actually watched it after The Undoing because a lot of the reviews I was reading was comparing the two shows, and I was, I was just kind of curious to to understand a little bit more about what you know, like the context of why those comparisons were being made, right? And um, you know, and there's some there's some similar themes, sort of, in the two shows, in that it's it's about you know competitive parenting at a wealthy school with wealthy parents and stuff like that. But again, it's not really. It doesn't really do anything interesting if you you know if you're looking at class issues or social issues it's kind of just about competitive momming i don't know yeah plus, plus a plus a murder mystery um yeah. so i guess i guess david david e kelly wanted to do something similar but different or he was talked into it by Susanna beer um and his interest in making these women seem interesting and edgy makes me feel like he doesn't understand women at all it's very strange i would agree, I would agree. and i and i and i feel like um ally mcbeal which is a show that i did watch when it was on tv and grew to absolutely despise uh i i thought the first two seasons were kind of interesting kind of maybe a little he he used to do a lot of like more uh, you know comedy drama dramedies right. whatever you want to call it and there was a lot of you know quirks there was like a whole thing with the dancing baby meme because her biological clock was ticking and you know she's he used to kind of throw in a lot of like you know fantasy sequences and stuff like that um but ally mcbeal was was heralded as some sort of feminist icon and then However many years on it's been at this point, maybe even almost 30 years, you know, she's she's awful. And <laughs> and 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 he was writing that show. And, and you know, and so it seems that in, in the time period between Ally McBeal and now he has not gained any understanding of women at all. Um, 
you know he's right. he's still kind of he's still kind of stuck in that same that same mode of sort Mentality. of yeah that's just sort of very stereotypical and a lot about women women competing with each other and and it seems like that seems to be like a, a almost like a thesis statement for him when he when he takes on these projects and it's 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 disappointing i agree for sure yeah my tentative title for this podcast in like the story screen schedule where we like mm-hmm. map out the content for the month is praise culture and the undoing and yeah. I think he definitely is a good representation of someone who has fallen prey to praise culture. And yes. when you're writing and you're in the industry and you never take a step outside of the industry, yes. and so you've just been in that world for decades, and you're being told that your work is valid and good and it's groundbreaking, of course you're going to keep just making kind of like the same content. You're never really right. going to question yourself or right, elevate yourself. Right. You've, you figured out the formula and you've got the brand. He's got the David E. Kelly brand. Right. And so, you know, networks say, okay, this is this guy is a proven commodity, so we're just going to give him carte blanche to do what he wants to do. Um, you know, and and the and the result you know, was, was this, and I, I, uh, you know, and, and, <laughs> and, you know, and I, I didn't have the benefit of, well, I know it was airing on HBO on a weekly basis. It wasn't one of those shows where they dropped all six episodes at once and people binged it. Oh, hang my, Oh, <laughs> Tim wants to know if we've talked about Donald Sutherland's eyebrows yet. Uh, not I, yet. Not yet, but that we will. Saving we will that for last. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and so, uh, I, 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 oh, where was I going with that? I'm now, now I'm thinking about the eyebrows. I'm talking about HBO dropping them like once every week. Oh yeah. They were doing them once every week. Which and I, I think, think is that- the optimal way to watch television. I do too. I do too. Because the binge, as much as I enjoy sitting down and watching 10 episodes of the crown at once uh <laughs> is it's probably not the healthiest way for me to uh uh use my time or moderate my media consumption sure um, <laughs> but because because i came to the show later i came to the show after it had done its full airing on hbo and it and it was so now all six episodes were available to binge right should i choose to we were careful we tried to keep it we didn't watch more than two episodes one night um per night except when we got to the last three episodes and at that point we were just like why don't we just get it over with (laughs) which is never a good sign when you're watching a show and we're just like you're just like well we got this far let's just power through it um i think i watched um i think four episodes had come out by the time i was like all right i'll give this a try right and watched as we said before the first episode and i was like well all right well these other episodes are available so i have that instant uh, chance to approach the second episode and kind of see if it's worth my while right. and because i have like weird ocd anxiety issues i'm like well i'm already two episodes in there are only four more left i can stick this out that was sort of our <laughs> thought process too we were like well this isn't a full this isn't like a show with a 22 episode order this is a mini series right. so <laughs> you know like we can we can get through this in in you know three or four days and 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 we and, and literally like at the end of every episode we were like this is getting progressively worse not better but we could not 
bring ourselves to walk away. Exactly. Because we were just like, we were, because we were hoping, we were hoping that there was going to be some great twist that would be mind blowing and, you know, cause you to go back and, okay, now I'm going to reevaluate the show from episode one, knowing what I know, you know, like I love shows like that when they do a twist and and they do it well. And then it makes you want to go back to the beginning and say, okay, now that I know what clues can I pick up? And the, the, the twist on this show is that the guy who looked so obviously and unrefutably responsible for the murder is the guy who was responsible for the murder. Like that was the twist. The twist was that there was no twist. (laughs) Exactly. And it made us extremely angry Um, because it was, I, I mean, we got to the end of episode six and we were like, what, what did we just do? With the, these six hours of our life, like what 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 did we gain from that? And then, you know, it was just. And then, you know, we've we've talked about some of the the baffling directorial cinematography, you know, cinematography choices. Um, I really think t- the crux just really falls on the the character of Grace. I just think yes. to have such a non character be your protagonist that right. you cannot figure out because the character herself doesn't know what she's supposed to be and what her function is in the story it was just that's i think where my disappointment came from wasn't necessarily that hugh grant ended up being the murderer because yes of course he was going to be the murderer yes exactly (laughs) but it was that they told the story through grace's like misconceptions that weren't misconceptions at all right right it was just she's just living her life yeah, she's and not she, that interesting. <laughs> and right, exactly. And she also, I mean, and and I feel like, you know, she was such a cipher, and there were also all these tr- strange like threads that they would kind of throw in and back off from. Like episode one, they were kind of insinuating that maybe there would be some class commentary going on with the introduction of Elena to the other you know, very wealthy mothers in the show. But by the end of episode one, she's been murdered. Um, you know, and then what are you going to do with that? And then, you know, um, Donald Sutherland, we've, we've, we've talked about him a little bit <laughs> thus far um, as, as uh, uh, Franklin, Grace's uh, wealthy father, uh, spectacular eyebrows. Uh, we, we, we have to, it, we have to admit that his, uh, his eyebrow game was, was, just absolutely perfect yeah Uh, yeah i can't say that any of the characters are especially well written for this show at all but it was always a joy when he was on screen yes fun to watch yes he's he was very fun to watch i loved you know i i i love the scene when um when the principal of the school has suggested that perhaps uh, they pull perhaps Grace pulls her son out of the school for the duration of the trial just because of all of the media attention and how it might not be very healthy for him and and also he's personally motivated by not having the school's name thrown on the news every day as you know oh this is the school where someone's mother got gristly beaten to death 
Right. Um, and, and Donald Southern, Sutherland shows up to this guy's office and basically says, uh, you realize how much money I give you? <laughs> Paraphrasing. And, <laughs> you know, and uh, and uh, I, I could make your life really difficult. <laughs> I believe he has that line where he says, I, I am a cocksucker and I do not mean that in the homosexual yes. way. I'm an yeah. old fashioned. And I was like, wow, okay, throwing down, you know, and just uh completely just uh intimidates the hell out of the 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 principal or the headmaster of the school so i really enjoyed him i i there were there were just these these little little hints into his relationship with his daughter that they would kind of drop in there and leave um you know we we get that he never liked jonathan and um and that's certainly understandable because you can even tell in episode one that he's a bit squirrely i mean it's right. that's, that's that kind of you know hugh grant capitalizing on his sort of quirky hugh grantiness um and you can see how uh you know kind of a a, a traditional old money new yorker would be like Ugh. um <laughs> you know um but then there was this whole thread where he's like he's playing chess with grace and he admits that he cheated on her mother several times and this really really upsets grace and she kind of storms away from him and then it never comes up again and i found myself wondering what was the purpose of even putting that in unless he was just trying to say oh you know cheating happens or whatever but but murder obviously <laughs> murder is a line that no one should cross but eh, sometimes cheating will happen but but right. it just felt it just felt very uh random and uh and she never really confronted him about it again it didn't really become a part or if it did we don't know because she was such a an underwritten character in so many ways so I, we don't know if learning that information about her parents relationship influenced her in any way right and it then, seemed that maybe they were trying to get her to realize because she says i've always compared my marriage to your marriage and i want to aspire to be as great as you two right were. and he was trying to Say explain that that you know. was an illusion you believed that falsely as a child we lied right. to you all the time right you should leave your husband because he's also not good so right. <laughs> get out of there right <laughs> right exactly you know but then she kind of she kind of didn't really do anything about it because she she kind of hung on. She stayed. She, did. she stayed with him. I mean, and she even like, you know, there's that one again. Going back to the the Hugh Grantiness of Hugh Grant, um, you know, uh, by the time the trial rolls around, Grace and um, her son Henry are are staying with with Franklin full time, and and uh, Jonathan is back in in the family home in the apartment, and he he's he's like bored and lonely at night and he calls and he goes would you want to come over for a cup of tea and it was it's just the this quintessential hugh grant romantic comedy moment and you can kind of see you know that he's charming her and she doesn't want to be charmed and then she eventually does go over there and sleep with him and i thought that was kind of an interesting i thought that was going to go somewhere interesting too i thought that we were going to then see some genuine conflict in her participation in the trial, in, in her willingness to believe or not believe Jonathan. Um, but then she just kind of goes back to being blank and they're back in, 
Haley's office the next morning and they're being kind of weird around each other. And Haley's always telling them, like, I don't care what's going on with the two of you in your, your personal life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've got to, we're on, you know, for the trial, you got to pretend. Hold hands when you walk into the courthouse. You have to look like you're on the same side. You have to look like the supportive wife. And, you know, nothing. So, again, it was like, here's here's something that could have led to some real interesting, like, character development for Grace in that she goes back to the, the home and she, she sleeps with her, you know, husband who she, who may or may not have murdered somebody and and then it didn't seem to impact her in any way and no. then and then the thing is you know in the end when we get the the non twist twist um that Jonathan obviously is the one who who murdered Elena um the big moment in that episode is or that that episode is built around um Haley finally puts Jonathan on the stand and he and she also had done like a TV interview with him, which I was just kind of like, ooh, I don't know if that's a wise choice. Yeah, everything in the courtroom, too. Court does not work like that. No, nothing no. Nothing works like this. No, nothing <laughs> works like that. And neither of the lawyers were very good at their job either. No, um, and they're they presenting were... new witnesses all the time and new pieces right. of evidence. And none right. of it was and... like filed prior. It was all yeah, exactly. There's a lot of leading questions where there shouldn't have been. Lots of monologues uh, on the stand. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and so so Jonathan gets up there and he he uh again he turns on his Hugh Grant Hugh Grantiness and he he kind of gives some some charming testimony about um you know his life as a pediatric oncologist and how you know, you get close to your patients and, you know, you know, trying to explain how the affair came about, but then also saying, and so therefore, how could I have killed her? Because I, I did genuinely come to love this woman. Um, and then the, but the big thing in that scene also is that then Grace volunteers to get up on the stand as well. And, ah, uh, I realize before I go here, we have to talk about the hammer. Oh, yeah. The the MacGuffin that's like kind of not a MacGuffin, but also Yeah. Yeah. Just really uh, heavy-handed. Yeah. Yeah, so so Grace discovers that her son has been so so it was established that Elena was weapon. basically yeah. the murder weapon was a sculpting a very heavy sculpting hammer and she basically got her it's horrible. I mean, they And they show the, it a lot. They show it a lot. It's really <laughs> jarring. Uh just how how her I mean, her face is just bashed in so that it's not even recognizable as a human face. Um, but they weren't ever able to locate this mystery hammer. And <laughs> and uh, Henry finds it on the property, on Franklin's, you know, Hampton's beach property in the outdoor fireplace, uh, realizes that his father must have left it there, comes to the realization that his father must be the murderer and then in an effort to try to protect his father run, runs the hammer through the dishwasher twice <laughs> um and i'm like did 12 year olds did i know how to run a dishwasher when i was 12 i don't know um would i have known to do it twice 
Probably not. Probably not. It would have been either once or five times, not twice. (laughs) Right, right. And then, like, you know, they have this emergency midnight meeting at Franklin's apartment, and Haley's there, and she's like, you know, now that it's been run through the dishwasher, I don't think, you know, and she's, I mean, Haley's kind of an ethically questionable uh, lawyer in her own way. Um, cause her whole thing is I'm here to win. So I'm here right. to just, you know, like I'm here to take the prosecution's case and poke as many holes as possible. But this hammer is just so incriminating. So she's like, well, look, if it's been run through the dishwasher twice, it doesn't really serve any evidentiary purpose. So I'm going to suggest you just pretend this didn't happen and not turn it in. And, uh, you know, Grace is freaking out. Franklin is freaking out. And and then Haley also points out, like, you know, if we do turn it in, we will have to disclose that your son found it and your son washed it, which then makes him, uh, you know, guilty of obstruction of justice. And, you know, right. And, that, and then he could be arrested. And then that's a whole other traumatic ball of wax for this poor kid. Um, and then Hugh Grant... Jonathan in his in his desperation to uh make sure that everybody knows that he is not the murderer uh pulls Grace aside and says could it be possible that that our son killed her like he 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 saw us outside the school one day maybe he put two and two together and maybe he somehow as a 12 year old boy in the middle of the night took a train to harlem and found her studio and saw us there and then killed her and and grace is like what the hell are you talking about and henry overhears it and gets mad and he's you know and I think we are supposed to understand that that is the moment where Grace officially turns on Jonathan. Sure. She, I mean, she even gets the information from Jonathan's mother in England about how when he was babysitting his his toddler sister and she accidentally got out of the house and was killed by a car and he never showed any remorse or any sort of pain over it and his mother was horrified by this and says she's not she doesn't think he's he's capable of empathy but even that that conversation you would think that would be the conversation that would make grace go oh shit um you would think so you would think so but it's it's not until it's not until jonathan tries to suggest henry is responsible for the murder and i think that's that's when the turning point is supposed to, and I'm saying supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I'm saying supposed to be is because we, I, then we, we see a series of scenes of her just sort of thinking. Taking, um, taking think, her walks. Yeah, taking her walks with that, with that great green velour jacket of hers. She's got some, she's, she's got some good jacket game. It is very nice. Game. I yes, can't pull it is very nice. those long coats. No, I can't I'm either. Too short. No, no. I, I, yes, I, I look, uh, I look like a stump. Um, but, but you know that is, and that green one looks very. And she's got lovely red hair. We've got Nicole Kidman back to her curly red hair roots. And some you know. people were clocking that as a wig. I'm not sure. I can't I'm speak sure. to that. I'm not sure either. I mean, that's that is what that is that is the hair that she had when she entered Hollywood. So I right. want to believe. But who knows? But she's, you know, um, so she's trying to figure things out. She's trying to figure things out, but you can't even get. And this is where I remember you emailed me once and you you were like, I I was having trouble with this because I was thinking 
am am I supposed to uh, am I supposed to think Nicole Kidman is not a good actor? Because that's how I feel after this. And I completely agree. I see nothing in these scenes of her kind of pensively walking around or looking out a window or whatever. I don't see anything in her face. She doesn't vocalize a lot, you know, to anyone. Even, you know, even muttering to herself would have been helpful or whatever. But it's just kind of like all of a sudden at five o'clock in the morning, she calls her her best friend who had who's a lawyer and had interned with the prosecuting attorney and decides to to tell her the information that her mother-in-law told her and you know basically conspire to get get her friend to corner the prosecuting attorney in the ladies room and just say hey here's some information for you and then grace is like and now i'm gonna get up on the witness stand and exonerate my husband and she's actually in cahoots with the you know prosecutor this way because the prosecutor knows exactly what to ask her and because she's been because grace was called as a defense witness the spousal privilege uh clause is no longer in play so that's actually it's an ingenious strategy but it came out of nowhere. I, I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't really, I mean, this whole, like, haha, switcheroo on the witness stand. I don't know. You know, I, it, it was, again, it was one of those things that I just felt was sort of just inserted into the show. And yes, it, it considerably ruined Jonathan's case. But since we... Since we know almost nothing about Grace, I just don't know. We didn't really get the journey from yeah. from her being, you know, confused about her husband's innocence to deciding that she was going to completely derail his case. And so it's just another one of those things that you're just supposed to be like, well, that happened. Um, yeah, because all of this information that you're presenting, the the case that when she was younger, and even when she was a teenager, and probably in her early 20s, she was never aware of her parents' infidelity, or right. the, the troubles in her parents' marriage. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that she's married to Jonathan, and he's supposedly been like this since a child, which his mom reveals about him. Mm-hmm. But the show is telling you that Grace is a phenomenal psychologist. And yes. so you're kind of wondering, it's like, is she really bad at her job? Right. Like, and is I... she just not very good? Because how can she not pick up on these weird exactly. character traits from, like, exactly. the people that are closest to her? So it kind of makes me wonder with, like, the whole decision to switch. I feel like I'm giving the show more credit than what it deserves. <laughs> because to me, I was like, well... Maybe that's her actually finally learning to, like, actually become a psychologist is to, like, finally start Mm -hmm. to realize Mm -hmm. those tendencies. Or maybe she's such a good psychologist that her interpersonal relationships with people in her day-to-day life, she has no gauge of how to assess Mm. them. Or maybe Mm. she's, like, so emotionally closed off. Right. Because she's almost treating them like patients, but she doesn't want to analyze them because they are her loved ones and her family. 
Right. So I, I don't think the show was doing that. But I don't like think so either. The I only think the way I is... could enjoy it. Right, exactly. <laughs> I think the show was just trying to be like, gotcha, um, <laughs> you know. And, 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 and then I also couldn't help but thinking after she gives that testimony on the stand in this very high-profile trial where she reveals on the witness stand, you know, I'm a clinical psychologist, I have a PhD from Harvard, that's where I met Jonathan, blah, 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 blah. I would never go to her for therapy after that. Absolutely not. No. Her practice is destroyed. His practice is destroyed. I mean, you know, and maybe that's maybe that's one of the things that comes up in, in the in the book that we in the book plot that we never get to explore is that that's part of what she has to reinvent about herself because that's I mean, that's a huge uh, you know, I mean, she's basically destroying her professional reputation on the stand. Um, you know, I, I would assume, you know, we see we see two of her clients, I guess. One is sort of this very high maintenance woman who uh, I mean, and there's uh, they sort of tease this a little bit. She's telling this client, this client of hers that, you know, maybe with men, you only see what you want to see. And I think maybe that was maybe that was supposed to be some foreshadowing. I don't know. Sure. And then she has the the couple, the married couple, the gay married couple um, with the one of one of them um, had had an affair. Those are the only two clients of hers we see. I can't imagine any of them want to go back to her um, <laughs> after all this. Uh, probably not. Probably not. Probably not any of her patients. <laughs> and I'm I, I uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's good that her father has money and she yes. won't be on the streets. Um, but it's just it's it's it just all felt so random and it was all about like every and it was like every episode it ended with a little bit of a cliffhanger that was supposed to be like and maybe this means somebody other than jonathan did it and then like that would be completely destroyed by everything that happened in the episode that followed and then it would be like and now the hammer's in the violin case and maybe it was henry and blah 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 and it was you know it just it just kind of it just it, it was just it was just jerking me around too much agreed while I, I was also just like while i was also just kind of like jonathan did it i mean he did it like e- even even before we actually see they actually do show the the crime finally in the last episode which was very difficult to watch mm-hmm. um but i i i i knew he did it I mean, <laughs> nobody else could have done it. It was, you know, like Haley tries to imply that maybe, you know, Elena and her husband were having marital issues and her husband found out about the affair and he did it. Or maybe, I don't know, like a random, I don't know. It was just, <sighs> yeah. I I yeah. rarely say this because I think overall, I appreciate the medium of television more than I do film. I think I would I, agree with you. I usually yeah. enjoy the journey a little bit more. So rarely do I say this, but this should have been a movie. Like there yes. was no need for this to be. There was no need for this to be six hours long. Yes, no. exactly. You could have covered this in a in a ninety minute, you know, yes. uh, a psychological thriller, whatever you want to call it, murder mystery. And as you said, um, the pacing would have been better. You wouldn't have been jerked around this 
this many times. It's right. Crazy. Exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, and there's just uh, – and then there's just also so many just strange, baffling plot choices like – so she finds out, Grace finds out in the course of, you know, in the course of her being confused about everything, the police reveal to her that Jonathan had been fired from his very prestigious job at a very prestigious hospital where he was like a leading pioneer in types of, you know, miraculous surgery for, uh, you know, cancer in children. And that's, you know, and Miguel... Alves, Elena's, Elena's, sorry. And they were also mispronouncing Elena's name all over the place, too. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, you know, her, her, her son had, had some sort of, uh, you know, terrible, you know, very, very low rate of survival childhood cancer. And he cured him. And that's how he became connected close to, to this family. Exactly. You know, and then, you know, but then he got, he got fired because they weren't even... You know, she so so Grace finds out he's been fired. She didn't know he'd been fired. Uh, and then she finally tracks down one of his colleagues who says, look, there's you know, this is confidential. There's an NDA. But, yeah, there was a whole, you know, hearing about it. And then apparently he had called her friend Sylvia, the lawyer who comes to the rescue in the end. I do uh, love the, Lily Rob. She's I do. Great. I do, too. And I kept I kept thinking she's in the story so much just sort of adjacently and i was like there's got to be more of a reason why we keep checking in with this character all the time because otherwise it was he had had an affair with her as well that's what that's what tim was saying too tim was (laughs) like tim was like that there's something there's something nefarious with her and it turns out no she was just there to be uh the the plant in the ladies room for the for the district attorney right and you spent time with like her daughter as well like right they would be exactly. at, like the ballet studio like picking up her daughter and i was like is that daughter also jonathan's right exactly oh yes of course because yes elena's second child is actually biologically jonathan's child so that's terrible um but yeah so he gets fired and- he gets fired and i and i am just sitting there thinking how do you where was he going we see him in episode one packing up a briefcase and walking his son to school and then like we see him on the phone near the hospital and we're supposed to assume he's about to go to work at the hospital but he's been fired for what like three months at the point that she finds out about the firing where has he been going Every day he leaves for work, he puts on his suit and tie and he goes to work. But what is, is he just going and hanging out at a Starbucks or <laughs> is he like, or is he just going and, and, and stealing time with Elena hanging out at her studio? He also, he also admits that he took Elena out to the beach house, Franklin's beach house, which obviously made Franklin very mad. Right. Um, with you know, so yeah, exactly. So I was like, is this, is, is he was fired so then that just gave him more time to carry on this affair or probably or Or, yeah you know and then but 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 even that doesn't really get explained you know i want i wanted a moment where nicole kidman was like how how could you how how could i not have known that he wasn't going to work how do you not know don't you have to file taxes at some point and look at the w-2 and look at the Anyway, you know, so that was is, another thing. I was just like, where where was he going? It is a strange thing to think about, like, in a city, especially when they are in very similar 
professions. Right. With very exactly. similar friends. Because I will say, little little backstory about me. Before my parents got divorced, my dad was also fired, but my mom didn't know. Oh, wow. And he would okay. go to work every day at work. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> the casino. <laughs> uh, right. That's where he would go. So, so I, 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 somewhat uh, relatable for me to watch, but also I lived in the country. Mm-hmm. Like I lived in southeastern Indiana. My dad worked in like Kentucky. He did drive like an hour to work. Right, right. So it was like there was a journey there, but it's so there's, funny that there's like in New York City that he's just like right. punting around. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and and full disclosure, you say that now. I actually do have a family member who um lied to his wife and his whole family for 18 months about having a contract job. <laughs> oh my gosh. And she did not find out until it came time to file taxes. They had recently gotten married. It was the first time they were going to file taxes together. She goes, all right, give me your, you know, I don't know if you have a 1099. I don't know what, you know, just give me all the paperwork and I'll do it. And he was kind of like, uh, and that's when everyone found out. So, so, I mean, it's funny that you and I kind of have this, this connection, this, this, this connection, <laughs> But that also, like, you know, again, that when I found out that this happened to this family member of mine, that my first question was, how did his wife not know? And that's my that's the same question I'm asked. How did Grace not know? Um, and and um, yeah, I think it's different because uh, like my mom, she was a stay at home mom and she didn't really like touch the finances per se right but so she like, didn't have any right right grace and jonathan both make a lot of money if all of a sudden a lack of money right. isn't coming into right. their bank account exactly hmm. and then there's a there's that moment too where franklin says that he did loan jonathan some money but he didn't ask him why and i'm like what franklin you don't even like this guy why wouldn't you be asking him why do you suddenly need this money, Mr. Top Pediotic Pediatric Oncologist in New York? You've been on the cover of New York Magazine as the best doctor ever. Why do you suddenly need a loan from me? Like, you you make a lot of money. He, t- he didn't ask. He just gave it to him. And he doesn't like the guy. Right. <laughs> like, why? nobody's asking the right questions. No. And then, and then the, you know, and the, the, the moment... At, there was one great moment in the last episode where after Grace gets up on the witness stand and does her gotcha testimony um, <laughs> and and then leaves, you know, uh, Franklin takes her away um, and uh, Jonathan is very angry and he's, he's talking to Haley and he's saying she fucked us and Haley was trying to move for a mistrial and the judge was not having it. Um, and he was like, she just fucked us over. What are we going to do? This is terrible. And, 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 you know, she, she, you know, this now that now is we're, we're all ruined. And, and this is like the one moment where you like Haley has finally had enough of this extremely problematic client of hers. And she's like, no, this is 100% your fault because you did not get rid of the fucking hammer. <laughs> <laughs> and it and she goes and she goes how stupid can you be and in that moment like you know tim and i like got up and clapped we were like yes someone finally said it because he says on the witness stand that when he 
when he encountered Elena's body and he panicked because he knew that he was going to be the prime suspect. So he uh, got in a car and drove up to Lake George and then uh, thought better of it and came back down to the city. Uh, but so he took the hammer with him right in the in the car and he drove to lake george and he stayed there for a night and then he turned around and drove back to manhattan from lake george and then he took the hammer that he has been carrying the murder weapon that he's been carrying with him what for sentimental reasons i don't know <laughs> uh in a paper bag that is bloody because it's got our blood all over it and he leaves it in the outdoor fireplace on his father-in-law's property there are so many lakes, bodies of water between Manhattan and Lake George. He could have dumped that hammer anywhere. He didn't. Why? <laughs> Why? Um, and it doesn't this make is, any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And this is and this is where I start to. This is where I start to. And I don't like saying this either because it just seems cruel. But this is where I'm just kind of like this show is dumb yeah this show is dumb this is a dumb show i spent six hours watching a dumb show and i want to know why and then you know and then and then and then the ending is so bizarre because jonathan basically the morning of his i guess they're gonna the jury's obviously gonna convict him after grace's testimony and he doesn't sh turn up to court. He basically kidnaps his son and he gets on the West Side Highway and he's driving. And then also Tim and I love doing this when when shows are shot in New York and they mm -hmm. leave Manhattan. We love to see where the car goes and see if it comes near us. Right. And so we're just kind of like, we're like, okay, is he on, is he on the Taconic now? Or is, is he on the Palisades? Where is he? And then there's a scene where he's driving and his son is like, we can't, you can't we have to turn around and go back or you have to let me out of the car. Like, dad, we can't do this. And, and Jonathan is like, no, no, you are my legacy. My legacy is, is not, this is, they're going to say, this is my legacy, this murder, but no, my legacy is my work and my son. And he's talking about legacy. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and, and then like, he's driving and we could have sworn they were on route 301 driving through cold spring. It looked an awful lot like cold spring. We weren't sure. We couldn't really read any signs, but so we got very excited about that for a, a second. We were just kind of like, yeah, cold spring near us. Um, and then like, while this is all going on, so the school knows that Henry didn't show up to school. Uh, Jonathan hasn't shown up to court. Haley's pissed off. Franklin says, you got to call the police because obviously he's fled with the child. And then the police do their thing and the police are doing a good job. They figure out where he's going. They've got his plates there. They, they spot him on the road. There is a police copter overhead. They're following. They're like, we're in pursuit. We got him. We got him. But inexplicably, Grace and Franklin get into Franklin's private helicopter <laughs> that he just happens to have on standby. And they're also flying north, trailing the car. And they probably shouldn't be doing that. Absolutely not. They should not be doing that. And then... You know, and they're listening. They've got the police scanner and they know that they've been found on a bridge that looked, we were like, is that the Bear Mountain Bridge? What bridge is that? We we're like, we were at the point with the show where we were like, okay, this plot, we've given up on the plot. Now we're just trying to identify landmarks. We're like, is that Bear Mountain? It looked is like that... it was further north. It looked like it was further north. Yeah, we were, we were, we were like Googling. We were like shooting locations for the undoing. <laughs> um, 
And then finally he's, you know, Jonathan just melodramatically stops on the bridge and he's acting like he's going to jump off the bridge and, and Grace and Franklin are in the copter and Grace is, and they're, they're on, they're above the bridge and Grace goes, land the helicopter, land the helicopter. You can't land a helicopter on a bridge that small. You can't get clearance. Even the cops were like, no, what are you doing? Don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. And then she gets out of the copter and she goes running towards her child and the cops are all like, no, ma'am, don't do it. But they are very half-hearted about it. They don't really pursue her. They let her run in her probably unsuitable for running shoes. Absolutely. To go and collect her child. And then, you know, they, she's she's got Henry and the cops come and they arrest Jonathan. And that's the end of the day. And then, and then they all get in the copter and fly away. And Jonathan just like resentfully looks at the helicopter as it... The helicopter doesn't drive away. It flies away. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, and that's and then, how like the, and the then show it, ends, like Nash begins. Ends, it's yes, bizarre. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's a, that's amazing. Yes, that's exactly it. And then it's like the end. And and we, we were, I just remember Tim and I were just like, what? What did we? What did we just watch? And then I was, I was desperate for answers. <laughs> like I was literally like, why did this show happen? How did this show happen? I and I read a lot of really interesting because critics after the last episode, especially there were a lot of critics I read. Like I, I follow the I follow the TV critics on Vox and on Vulture and AV right. Club and all that stuff. And a lot of them had been doing, I think, what you and I had been doing, which is trying to give the show the benefit of the doubt, even though it was getting stupider and stupider as the episodes progressed. <laughs> And then with the last episode, everyone was just kind of like, no, 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 no. And there was, I I read a lot of critics just trying to unpack, like, you know, what the hell did we just watch? And one of the things, and this kind of ties back to what I brought up at the beginning, where I said I thought that there was going to be some sort of interesting class exploration going on with the sure. introduction of Elena's character. And instead, Elena basically as a character is so poorly constructed i mean like if grace is impossible to read elena all we really know about elena is that she's a sexy latin lady yep she's attractive she's attractive sexually promiscuous that's really all we know about that's really all we know about her and she you know and and there's just a lot of scenes of her you know of her you know just like you know provocatively taking off her clothes in front of Jonathan and lots of torrid scenes at the art studio. Um, And then again, you know, in the vein of threads that they drop into the show and then abandon, um, the, the police uncover that Elena had, you know, drawn a portrait of Grace before she even met Grace. How... Did she find a photograph of Grace? I don't know. So that's, there was something strange going on there. There was also like when Elena met Grace at the fundraising meeting, she seemed to really like want to connect with her. And then she kind of confronts her at the gym, totally naked Mm -hmm. um, because she is a sexy Latina. Um, And basically, I mean, she's she's obviously troubled and she's keeps thanking Grace for, you know, you're you're being so kind to me. 
you've made me feel so welcome. It's it's very difficult for me. You know, she's obviously very troubled, but there's also a hint that there is some sort of she's got some fixation on Grace. And then um you know, and then the big confrontation that leads to Jonathan bashing her to death with the hammer was because she was saying, "Oh, you know, I've I've met Grace a few times, you know, you know, in planning the school function and stuff and at the gym and she's really great and I think, you know, Henry would be a really good influence on Miguel and we're going to hang out, we're going to have tea together." And Jonathan just freaks out at the idea of Elena getting too close to Grace for obvious reasons. Right. Um but when you take that information and also the fact that she's drawing she's doing epic portraits of grace in secret and uh just like lounging around naked at the gym locker room in front of her and also there's a scene in the the, the ladies room at the auction where she just seems like she's about to break down and cry and grace is like you know if you ever need to talk or whatever you know she's very she's troubled there is a maybe a weird fixation on grace and again that also just gets completely dropped by the time the trial comes around and then the trial is right. about it's never discussed it's never discussed evidence or anything right or anything or you know anything that 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 would contribute to an understanding of why the crime happened or or you know why the police were so the police seemed very interested in grace as a potential if not suspect but but as somebody who might have been peripherally involved in the murder a little more in the know exactly because of all this evidence that they kept finding in elena's art studio that she had some sort of you know obsession fixation on grace and then that just never that just gets dropped and And if anything it almost seemed it, it was problematic for me watching it because it almost felt like the show was doing a little bit of victim blaming they were yes. like, Elena oh, was kind yeah. of like asking for this to go awry because of how close she was getting with Grace, because right. of how promiscuous she was. Right. And, and was because like, I don't she think was... that's the message you want to be sending. No, to exactly. The world. And also, like, you know, they're they're heavily implying that she's extremely troubled. She's extremely depressed. And I feel like that was also like they were trying to bring that into it too. Like, oh, Jonathan got involved with an emotionally disturbed woman. Mm-hmm. And it went awry and so and 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 so of course you know this is this is what happens when you get involved with emotionally disturbed younger women i don't know yeah i i totally agree with you I, there was definitely some victim blaming going on there definitely some you know uh uh not explicit but definitely implied um mental health shaming uh going on there also, it was never explored that perhaps it was because of Jonathan that she started experiencing right, these problems. Right, exactly, exactly. Getting getting involved with a married man and, you know, obviously he, he, he had no intention of leaving his family for her. Right. Even though he fathered a child with her, but he wasn't going to walk away, you know, he wasn't going to walk away from his fancy life yeah whatever weird fantasy he was living in right exactly and and um yeah and that that must have you know obviously that would uh you know contribute to somebody having you know emotional difficulties self-esteem issues you know you name it just just you know and then and and 
you know, and obviously, you know, we see that Elena and her husband had a troubled relationship as well, but it's not clear if it was troubled because she was always kind of promiscuous and this was an ongoing problem in their relationship or if the trouble came about because she took up with Jonathan and he noticed that they were getting too close and became suspicious or maybe he even knew that there was an affair actually happening and didn't want to act on it I don't think that's the case because I think when he found out the he asked for a paternity test on the daughter to to confirm that it whether it was his daughter or not. So I, right. I don't think he knew about the affair. Certainly think he must have suspected something. Um, right. But the entire Alves family as a whole, I mean, like Elena, who is, you know, she's the crux of the story. The story doesn't happen without her getting murdered. We We know so little about her except for these little flashes of... Maybe she's crazy, and uh, but she's very hot, you know. And then, um, you know, and then we we see that her, you know, her her widowed husband is very angry, understandably. Mm-hmm. And He's probably the character that made the most amount of sense yes, in the show. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and and you know, and her poor son Miguel, who you know survived cancer treatment and then had to find his mother bludgeoned to death in the studio and that really horrendous scene when Haley puts him up on the witness stand you know and i i also think you know if we're talking about um actors who did a very good job with uh really thankless material i do think that the actor who played miguel yeah uh did a very very good job with um with a really really just ugly part of the story honestly yeah definitely um, so um you know so yeah, I mean, there's, you know, I, and, you know, we discussed Donald, Donald Sutherland is, is a, a joy to watch, no no matter what, in, in this show as well. And I, you know, I... I, uh, I liked watching Edgar Ramirez, too, as the, the main cop oh, who was yes. investigating. I, I liked him a lot, too. Again, I liked him not a, a great too. character, but... Right. Fun to watch. Fun to watch. It was okay doing, when he was on screen. Yes, <laughs> yes. Doing, doing what he could with the material he was being given. And, um, and, and, you know, and so, and also just going back to, uh, uh, my, in my anger after the show, (laughs) trying to understand why, why did the undoing happen, you know, and reading kind of a a lot of, you know, the cultural critiques, the, you know, critics, uh, you know, analysis of what went wrong. And, um, Vanity Fair does a podcast called, um, Still Watching. And it's it's basically two of their journalists, uh, their entertainment journalists, and they pick a show um, that's in the zeitgeist at the moment or that they're interested in. And they devote five or six episodes. Basically, basically after every episode, they sit down and do a debrief of what happened. And then they're because they're Vanity Fair, they have access. They can also do interviews with the people who are involved in the show. So I I listened to a few episodes of this podcast starting you know earlier on you know like i might have started with episode the one where they just discussed episode one um and then i i kept listening they did an interview with um with noah jupe who plays henry um they did an interview with nicole kidman um both of them were done prior to the show even airing on hbo so it was kind of like 
when they would play these interviews, they would be very, very kind of out of context from what they had just been discussing about what had happened on the show. I'm not sure. I'm not trying to like critique. I'm not trying to say that the structure of their podcast is bad. I'm just saying it was a, it was, it was I strange. felt it to be a strange choice. Um, and what started to really bug me, and I skipped ahead to like, you know, episode four, episode five or whatever. I was like, I'm not going to listen to every single episode of this, but, um, you know, they, they, they get to a point where, um, it's right after the episode where it is revealed that Jonathan is responsible, was responsible for, um, neglecting his younger sister and caught, you know, and then she gets out of the house and got struck by the car when he was a teenager. And they actually did an interview with Hugh Grant at the time that that episode aired. And I actually thought Hugh Grant handled that interview very well because he was, you know, the journalist was asking him all sorts of leading questions about, well, well, what is it like to play a sociopath? And he goes, well, I can't tell you. <laughs> I can't tell you that because if I admit that I, this is what I do to prepare to play a sociopath, then I'm admitting a big giant part of the plot and and I, maybe Jonathan didn't do it. Um, right. So I was, I was impressed with, with Hugh Grant's ability to dodge questions like that. But there was something about the way this journalist and Hugh Grant and then, then going back to the main structure of the podcast when she was talking with the other journalist and they were discussing just the, the brilliance of Susanna Beers. And I guess they, they're fans of her film work. So, um, you know, and they're just talking about how, you know, there's just this, this sort of very breathless, like, oh my God, she's so good and she's so brilliant and that shot and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And all this, you know, these, sh these, the way she did the, you know, and they, and they didn't mind the weird close up eyeball shots that we were both very, uh, not fans of, you know, and they're just like, oh, it's just this very sort of like breathless, like she's so good. She's so brilliant. David E. Kelly's so brilliant. This show's so brilliant. And then, the last episode aired and even these two journalists who had been gushing over the brilliance, the supposed brilliance of the show, they they had no way to justify that ending. They they I believe the consensus they came to was, well, that was some enjoyable fun to watch, but it ultimately was very silly. And I felt so bad for them at that point because they had been They've publicly been talking, praising yeah, it <laughs> exactly they've been talking about this show like it was going to be this this groundbreaking television achievement you know in in the pantheon of of other brilliant you know miniseries or shows you know they're like oh this is a part of the you know the prestige tv we can put this up there with the sopranos and mad men and breaking <laughs> bad no no you can't please don't <laughs> please yeah exactly and um you know, I, I just, it, it, it's, it's, it's just so puzzling. It's just so puzzling that this show, that they made the choices they did, that this show even happened, that anybody <laughs> greenlit any of the, the teleplays that David E. Kelly wrote episode by episode, that, that nobody, like, nobody with any sort of common sense seemed to be looking at these scripts and being like, well, here's a plot hole and here's a plot hole and this is just weird. And why did you right. include this, you know? And then, and then I think, and they, they luckily, I, I, they did not win any Golden Globes, but I think it was when the Golden Globe nominations came out. I think that was when I 
texted you in a frenzy and i was like we got we have to do something because yeah because i think i had mentioned to you that there had been a little bit of award buzz around the undoing yeah like "Uh uh-huh we'll see (laughs) right right (laughs) and then it happened and then it happened and i was just so horrified and i was like we have to do something we have to do something not that we can you know like change the outcome of the golden globes but i was just like how is this show i mean uh, the golden globes are uh they I mean, are all a, awards are all arbitrary. Awards, they're arbitrary, and the to and the some Hollywood, extent, exactly. And the and the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which is responsible for the Golden Globes, is notoriously easy to bribe. I mean, like yes. it's, it's 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 been in the news a lot. And then you know, also, I didn't watch the Golden Globes this year, but apparently, um, people said that the 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 program was just really really not enjoyable to watch and kind of makes you wonder like why do we even it was all right but it was a little it was at times poorly managed right i think that they knew that they could use the excuse that it was like mostly zoom shot that they were like we can blame this on zoom but it's right "Mm." Not all but of it. Not all of it. But also, like, you know, I I, I did watch the Emmys uh, last year, which they also had to record under similar circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I thought that the, the, the Television Academy handled the technological uh, challenges of doing an award show largely over Zoom very well. And I... I, I Agreed. You know, and then I, I was reading... I was reading what happened at the Golden Globes and a lot of people are saying, well, you know, less than six months ago, the Emmys proved that you can do an award show remotely. during the time of COVID remotely. And why didn't they take any lessons from that? This is kind of far afield of 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 the undoing per se. But sure. Um, but the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, we it's it's um, it's notorious for being easy to bribe. And oftentimes nominations are not really based on any real sort of merit. And, you know, I suspect that that's 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 how the undoing ended up on their nominations list. I'm just so, so relieved that they didn't win anything because I don't want I don't want to enable David E. Kelly and. Susanna Beers and maybe even Nicole Kidman to try to, you know, Little Big Lies, the other show we were discussing earlier, that was also um, a miniseries based on a book. And it was so popular that they, it, it, it was meant to only just be a standalone miniseries, but it was so popular that they wrote a second season. Which I was livid about because in award season, they won some awards in the limited series category. Yes, they knowing did. that they were on board for season two at that point. Right, and right. I, say what you will about Ryan Murphy. I'm not a huge Ryan Murphy fan, but Feud, mm. the story of Betty and Joan. Came oh, out that, that year. was that I loved and that, that series was phenomenal. I loved that. That and was that was so the same good. year that Big Little Lies was up for nominations, and Big Little Lies walked home with a lot of awards, and Feud, Betty and Joan. I think lost almost all of the opportunities. I think I think, I think that's and right. Yeah, that was a superior series. In, absolutely, in my book. absolutely, absolutely. Yes, no, I I absolutely loved that. Um, Which was actually like a very interesting exploration of what it means to be a woman. 
Right. Exactly. Yeah. As opposed to as opposed to like rich mommy wars, you know, and right. and, uh, and uh, who, you know, who killed the abusive husband, you know, which was kind of a, that's like the core mystery behind season which is one, you know, of crazy that show. Now that you're telling me that David E. Kelly like helped manufacture this prequel, this fake prequel to this book. Yeah. To, to make um the undoing. Yeah. And the fact that it's basically the same story or a similar story to Big very, Little Lies. It's very similar. It's, it's like Shailene the, Woodley is like the Elena character. Yeah. And the, Nicole Kidman. The kind of out of out of place amongst the rich. Yeah, and Nicole yeah, Kidman is, is and there. And her yeah, husband is the one who fathered a child with someone else. And, right. Exactly, and he's Bizarre. and he's uh you know he's he's uh, you know more overtly abusive than Jonathan, but he's a you know like a dangerous man. Um, right. And they and they made a season two, and and like Meryl Streep joined the cast. I've Oof. not watched it. I'm not going to watch it. Um, you're, but you're doing the the good choice. I, I'm doing the good choice <laughs> because yeah. it's not as good, and also just strange. Just strange, yeah. I mean, and I and so I was terrified that if the Undoing won even one award, it would open the door to doing another season. And then, you know, then I'm of two minds of that. Maybe the second season would be well. Now we're going to adapt the actual book that this was supposed to be about, and maybe they could do something interesting with that. But I don't. My gut tells me that that's not what they would do if they were given the choice. I feel like it would just be more, uh, you know, rich moms in Manhattan and Grace is sort of in a very, you know, like there wouldn't be, I don't, I don't, I don't know for sure. It's not like I talk to David E. Kelly on a regular <laughs> basis or anything, you know, but, um, but I don't think. I mean, the fact that he was so easily swayed by Susanna Beer to not do a straight adaptation of the original text concerns me. Um, yes. Because it just makes me think that he doesn't understand what a compelling story is, especially Correct. if it's a if it's a woman centered uh, story. And I and I think just based on just based on what I know about you should have known the the book um i mean we it, it, we would have learned so much more about grace had they had they done it that way had they actually just you know let the the murder mystery be this is the backstory she's running away from and and how do you how do you reconcile the life you thought you had i mean that's fascinating i think that's fascinating I think that's way more fascinating than uh, did Hugh Grant do it or not and uh, helicopters and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, lovely green velour jackets. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, this is these are the things that I would like the images that I think of when I think of this show is just Nicole Kidman's eyes and the velour jacket and Donald Sutherland's eyebrows and the copter and, you know, Hugh Grant, uh, ranting about legacy and clams, the, the superior clams you apparently get in Albany, New York. 
<laughs> which was just like, what are you talking about? Okay. It, it made me sad because I listened to the Mark Marin podcast, WTF. Oh, I lo- I've, I've, uh, I used to listen to that regularly and then I've, I've kind of fallen behind, uh, and by a lot, but Mark yeah. has had a rough time of it in the past year, year and a half. Um, he lost his partner. Um, he's oh, he's dealt with a lot of stuff. So I think he's kind of gotten a little softer um, mm-hmm. when he mm-hmm. approaches like critique of things that he's watching. But he interviewed Hugh Grant recently. Oh wow! And he said he watched The Undoing, and he was like, "Yeah, it was good, man. It was good." Uh-oh. But he Where and Hugh that? Grant Uh-oh. were talking, and apparently, oh, we go. Hugh Grant feels that. Oh, are you good? I'm good. I'm You're good. Still with I'm me. good. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I thought <laughs> um, I lost you for a second and then you came right back. So we're good. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, Spectrum. Grant- I, I hate I hate you, Spectrum. <laughs> I hate you, Spectrum. Okay, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Not sponsored by Spectrum. <laughs> Not sponsored by Spectrum. <laughs> um But yeah, Hugh Grant was saying that when he started getting all of those like rom coms in like the nineties, mm-hmm. that was when his career took a detour that he kind of wished it hadn't taken and he had said in recent years he's finally started to feel like he's getting work that he really enjoys and he said as like a dad because he has children he's married and you know Mm -hmm. whatnot he was like this is probably the closest Quite a lot of children now i believe i believe he does yeah he was like i think this is like the closest character to myself i've ever played Ooh, that's scary. Right? (laughs) And he said, sometimes I had to dial it back, but he was like, yeah, when I would cry on set, it was because I was crying and thinking of, like, my actual children that I have now. Oh, wow. Oh. And he was like, I I got, he he, he had said, like, people on Twitter would say, like, that's fake crying, which I want them to know, like, no, those were actually real tears. Those were real tears, I'm finally getting to the point in my acting career where I can cry real tears. And you can access (laughs) those emotions, yeah. Right, so please don't make fun of me. But it... That's so... That's so fascinating. To know that he thinks, like, the undoing is, like, the good work that he deserves. It's like, no, Hugh Grant. Yeah, no. (laughs) Reach higher. Reach higher. Reach higher. I I think his role in Paddington 2 is the (laughs) highlight of his career. I will go on record to say it. And I think he really enjoyed that, too. (laughs) He did. I actually, when I was was researching that piece, I found a, a really great interview with him. One thing I do love about Hugh Grant and I think it's just this is just his personality is that even when I read print interviews with him, I, I feel like I can hear his voice in my head. He's just got such a strong he's got it's again, it's that Hugh Grantiness. He's just got yes. that strong presence just as a as a as a human being and not just as a performer, just as a as as himself. Um, and he talked about how, um, you know, one of one of his motivations uh, you know, for for doing Paddington was because, you know, he was married and starting to have children and he wanted to have, you know, at least one movie that would be kid friendly, um, you know, and um, and he, you know, and he and he he had a ball playing that role, understandably. Um, it, that's it's it's so, so funny. And then he talked about how when his kids got old enough, you know, like. Four, four or five old enough that they would they would be able to understand the plot of the full movie without having to have it spoon fed to them um he actually arranged a special screening in his house for his kids to watch the movie and um their response was why are you in this so much 
We don't want to see this much of you. Why are you in this movie so much? We want more Paddington. And he goes, you know, and of course that was incredibly hurtful. Um, you know, but by the end of the movie, they were they were won over. But he was just kind of like, I made this movie because I have children and they're, they, they hate that I'm in it. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know... He's phenomenal in Paddington. I mean, and there's also, I mean, he's, I, I will agree that in his post straight rom-com career, like, I feel like the real pivot happened with Bridget Jones's diary where he was cast as, you know, like the, the, the hot Hugh Grant love interest, but he was revealed to be a shithead and I feel like that was the real kind of the 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 moment where his romantic comedy, where he got stuck, start, like started to open some more doors for him to right. do other types of work. Because before that, he was, you know, I mean, like Notting Hill, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Sense and Sensibility. I mean, I all, love about all, a boy. Yes, and I think great. I think about a boy was after was after Bridget Jones. Oh, and was I it liked, really? I yes, think it, might be right. it was. I think it was. I, I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly what year, but it, I it was definitely after Bridget Jones because it was another movie where I remember he spoke about how he was grateful to be able to play someone problematic again. Like he had so much fun Fair. playing. I guess he's Daniel. I don't remember his full name in Bridget Jones. He had so much fun, like being kind of the bad, the bad man in Bridget Jones. And then, I mean, he's not really bad per se and about a boy, but he's, no. he's not an honorable or likable fellow when we first meet him in that film. And Correct. Then he, and then he, you know, transforms. I think that is a really, really good movie. And that's also, and I, I do, I do love Nicholas Holt. And um, me too. And I think he's he's fantastic, and he's so young, but he's so brilliant um, in that character. And Tony Collette, I know you and Berger are, are doing some uh, deep dives into Tony Collette's career right now. So yes, we are. Um, we just covered about a boy pretty recently. Oh, oh great! Yeah, yeah, I think she I think she was she was wonderful in in that role as well. Um, you know, but I even also like. Um, that music and lyrics movie. Um, I have. I've. Heard I really enjoyed that movie. I've heard so many good things about that movie. I remember when it was it was being advertised. I was like, that does not look <laughs> like something. That just looks a little too corny for me. But then I've I've heard from so many people who've seen it who just say, no, it's delightful. Just that's a good time. Just 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 check it out. Just do it. You know. Um. So. Um. And the other thing I I do know with Hugh Grant as well is that he he was interested in doing more TV and he had done um, another miniseries, but it was in England. It was called Mm. A Very Very British Scandal and it was him and – oh, my goodness. I love this actor so much and his name is escaping me. The the fellow who plays Q in the Daniel Craig James oh, yes. Bond movies. Of course. Um, um, he was recently in Fargo season four. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, what is um, his name? Uh, I am, I am, I am doing my Googling. And mm-hmm. uh, let's see. Ben Wishaw. Yes, ben he's Wishaw. wonderful. I love him. I love him so much. Um, Agreed. And uh, it was it was like a it was like a three part miniseries, um, 
or maybe two part. It was very short, but it's it, and it's based on a true story. Um, oh goodness, and they're doing a second series. Uh, okay, uh, wow, all right. I don't know how they're going to do that. Uh, <laughs> Unnecessary, much, they, maybe. Exactly. They pretty much covered everything they needed to in the first. So I mean, like, but it's based on a true story of um, takes place in the sixties, and um, Jeremy Thorpe, who's a liberal member of Parliament, he's a, he's a closeted gay man. Um, and he has an affair with, um, a fellow named Norman Joseph, played by Ben Wishaw. So Hugh Grant plays the, the politician, has an affair with this much younger man, uh, who is, um, uh, in some, in some trouble because he has lost his national insurance card, which makes it hard for him to find legitimate work. And he's also just, he's, he had like a rough childhood. He's a little bit troubled from that. He was, you know, closeted for a very long time. And then I think, you know, his, his first sexual experience might have been when he, um, when he got involved with Jeremy Thorpe and then, you know, they split up, um, and, uh, Norman starts to, you know, threaten, uh, jeremy the the politician basically threatening to out him um you know uh basically because he's saying you know you promised you would help me get my national insurance card you promised me this you promised you that you you know you threw me out of your home i'm homeless now you know and then kind of how he he kind of reinvents himself and and then eventually uh it goes crazy it goes crazy in a way uh but not crazy in a way that was like i'm angry because this is the undoing crazy and because it actually really happened because uh, um the politician uh joseph uh oh not joseph jeremy jeremy thorpe decides the best way to handle the increasingly threatening letters he's getting from his former lover is to hire a hitman to kill him of course and uh yeah as you do um <laughs> And he hires, like, maybe the most incompetent hitmen in the history of hitmen. Uh, they completely fail at killing this guy. I think they kill his dog, which is very sad. And then it becomes a whole big thing. And he, you know, like, he then there's a court, there's a court case in the 70s. And the court case was an absolute joke because... You know, uh, uh, Jeremy Thorpe is a member of parliament and you can't speak this way. And Norman Joseph shows up and he's at this point, he's very comfortable in his sexuality and he shows up, you know, dressed very fashionably. He's very flamboyant. He's like, I'm a gay man. I'm proud of it. This is what I'm going to say. This is the truth of my relationship with Jeremy Thorpe. Believe me, don't believe me, whatever. I know what happened. This is it. And then, you know, the judge was a, just a big old homophobe and was like, yeah, I don't believe you. you. You're just an unstable little boy, whatever. And it's it's known, apparently, it's known for being, you know, one of the, the most, uh, like, the worst, like, circus, bad, bad court cases, bad judicial decisions in, in like, the history of the British Jeez. criminal system. Um it was wildly entertaining. It was very well done. And I guess Hugh Grant uh, enjoyed the experience so much because he was like, oh, it's it's kind of like filmmaking, but it's it's a, you know, even though you're doing multiple episodes, they're all smaller in scope than a two hour feature. And, you know, he's like and again, he's playing a, a terrible human being. 
And, uh, you know, so I guess, you know, this, this, I, I, I think we're, I think we've reached the phase of Hugh Grant's career where he's just playing, he's just going to play terrible human beings. I mean, and he was, All right. he was, he was a, yeah, I mean, and he was a terrible human being in Paddington too. I'm going to bang on this drum as long as I can. <laughs> um, but he was so funny and yeah, so he's good. It. He's, he's earned, earned it. it. You know, <laughs> if he wants to play bad men, more power to you, Hugh Grant, but like maybe... Maybe maybe vet your scripts a little bit more. Yes, or have your agent have your agent take a look. Have your have your have your wife take a look. Sometimes somebody who's not in the industry, fresh eyes, she can look at it and be like, "Really, dear? Uh, you sure? Pass on this. Pass on this. You know, uh, I you know I feel like this was a situation where he was also a fan of Susanna Beer's uh, filmmaking, yeah, right? And. Um, and Nicole Kidman and and Nicole Kidman and and um, yeah and I you know I, I read an interview with Nicole Kidman where she said you know she and and Hugh Grant had have known each other for years and had always wanted to work together and had never found an opportunity to do a film together the closest they ever came was playing villains in the two Paddington movies <laughs> but they weren't actually villains together they were you know villain number one and villain number two and um you know and then she always apparently she always used to joke like oh Hugh will never like she she's gotten into doing tv shows Nicole Kidman she's kind of found a little niche for herself and um you know because she's moved in that direction she was like oh now I'll never get to work with Hugh because he's never going to want to do a tv show and then he was he was interested and I guess this was the this was the oh. project that was presented to him, and I and and I guess he just really wanted to play a bad man, and he thought Susanna Beer was great, and he, I don't know, he's an intelligent man. I think Nicole yeah. Kidman is Kidman is an intelligent woman. I think yes. they would have the ability to to look at a script like this and say, there are some problems. We're interested in this story, but maybe it needs to be. I mean, if Nicole Kidman is an executive producer on the show, why isn't she demanding more of David E. Kelly? Why isn't just she... some rewrites? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, um, I feel like the that's a that's a yes rewrites. I feel like this show was uh, like a first draft. All first drafts. Every All single first episode. Drafts. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just it needed. It needed to be workshopped. Uh, you know, David, David Kelly needed a nice writing group where he could workshop it a little bit and refine some stuff and, you know, fix some of the plot holes and, and, and you know, but, but I don't want to hang the entire problem on the writing, even though the writing is uh, pretty bad. Um, well, it's just strange because, yeah, like even shows that have much more longevity and they're on for seasons and seasons and you understand it's a bit of a machine where they're probably writing episode five as they're filming episode one right you know like they right, kind right, of right yeah are on a rotating scheme this literally felt like they had written every episode after they had shot the episode prior yes as opposed to yes. what you know what it actually was all of these were written at the same time right like Right. It had to have been. It's it such had a to small been because series. It's a small series and they and they, they very clearly had the arc. They knew right. what they were they knew what they were doing. You know, they were gonna they were gonna make it look like Hugh Grant did the crime, then they were gonna waste our time for four episodes <laughs> trying to throw us in every possible other direction. And then they're gonna be like, Surprise, he did it and 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 they wrote it that way. Right. And um you know, but, 
And again, you know, I mean, like, a lot of the problem is the writing. A lot of the problem, though, really is the direction. Um, yeah. It, it does not make me necessarily want to seek out Susanna Beer's film Other work. work. And um, and that's too bad because I I I do know that she is critically acclaimed um, and and has many fans and uh, you know but but this being my first impression of her work it's a terrible terrible way to be introduced to her <sighs> just mm-hmm. just the way she works and um, you know and and I mean like and with with. Uh, you know, like, what was Donald Sutherland thinking saying yes to this? I love Donald Sutherland. Like, what, yeah. what, you know, he's he's a smart man. Uh, he couldn't have read through this. I just, you know, you've got you've got a, a, a you know, a, a trio of really strong actors, you know, in in these roles. And then, you know, and then, as you said, you've, you've pointed out, um, you know, the the the. Uh, the actor who played the lead the lead investigator the lead cop investigator he he was very good given the scope of what he was being asked to do mm-hmm. i think i think noah chupas henry did the best he could yeah did you see honey boy no oh he's no, very good in honey he's boy but now it's a little little tainted with all of the shia labeouf stuff that has come out oh since, yeah. uh, yes maybe, but, uh, ooh, ooh, but noah yeah. jupe was very good in honey boy yeah and he was um, doing okay in this yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, he he. At the very least, he held his American accent, uh, <laughs> which nobody else did. Um, you know, again, I mentioned I I, I think the actress playing Haley Fitzgerald, uh, the defense attorney. I think she she was doing some heroic work. Uh, yes. In in some of this, uh, you know, lifting lifting some very very uh, problematic writing. Um, and uh you know i don't like i don't like coming away from this feeling that nicole kidman isn't talented though and i have to remind myself that even when big little lies wasn't the great greatest to me story wise or tone mm. or what have you i still think nicole kidman was doing good work in Big i Little do Lies. too i so do I, too i have to believe that it literally was just this character this character was not was great just, it was not great and it wasn't a good wasn't a good fit for her and maybe, right. maybe not a good fit for anybody i just don't think she was i don't think grace was a well-rounded character i think she was a cy- i mean and it's 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 she was a cipher and then the other you know the other main female in the story, Elena, she's also a cipher. She's just she's a different kind of cipher. But again, we right. don't we don't really know much about what is going on internally. You know, what is the internal life of either of these characters? They they're just they're just sucked into Jonathan's orbit and he's and he's, you know, he's charming and he's, you know, he's you grant and <laughs> you know. Um but yeah, I mean he, he, I, I will say with, and I, I know I keep calling it little bit, little big lies, uh, because <laughs> because I have I have COVID brain, um, uh, big little lies. The the storyline that kept me interested in that show was the storyline with Nicole Kidman and it's Alexander Skarsgård, I believe, mm-hmm. who plays her husband. Um, mm-hmm. I think. 
I found myself not very interested in all of the shenanigans with the rich moms and their mommy war competition and, you know, Reese Witherspoon's, you know, being resentful of her ex-husband's new young hot wife or what I just, you know. But I I feel that the story that was told um, about Nicole Kidman and Alexander Skarsgård's marriage was an important one. I think it was a very um sensitive and well executed depiction of what an abusive marriage can look like on the inside and to the outside you know the right. way the way that they choose to present themselves you know and so that was the thing that kind of kept me i didn't even really care about the murder part of that story except i'm very glad that the abusive husband is the one who got murdered yay good that is that's great yes because he was because he was gonna kill her if you know i mean he was he was a he was a dangerous dangerous bad man um but i was i was invested in that story because i i i I cared about her safety. I think I think Nicole Kidman just embodied the role so well and made her so sympathetic. And the scenes with her and her therapist where you can kind of see her slowly coming to understand that, no, this is not just like a marriage where we kind of have a weird problematic sex life, but otherwise right. it's perfect and wonderful and he's perfect and wonderful. And she's starting to realize, no, this is this is dangerous and this is bad for my children to be exposed to. And, you know, um, you know, watching Nicole Kidman undergo that, that transformation of understanding. um, She's so good. (laughs) And then, uh, you know, and then we get the undoing and it's just, it's just uh, close-ups of her eyeballs and gray duster, gray duster coats, and, <laughs> and not and understanding I, anything, and not understanding anything, and and not and not really saying much about how she feels about anything. Yes, and it's always, especially with her relationship with her son, it's always we'll talk about this later. We'll talk yeah. about this later. Yeah, they never yeah. like sit down and have an actual conversation. And I think it took until maybe like episode three for her to ask him. How are you feeling? Yes, are you okay? In all of this? Are you okay? You know, and obviously he's not okay if he found the hammer, you know, but Right. But um but yeah, yeah, no, I I I agree. It's it's, it's you know, it 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 we just we just didn't we didn't really learn anything about her except indirectly through little snippets of you know like like the conversation she has with with her father about the nature of her parents marriage and um you know maybe i you know i get a sense of what kind of friend she is in looking at the relationship between her and 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 lily rob's character uh maybe maybe i don't know i feel like (laughs) i feel like sylvia did a lot of the heavy lifting in that relationship too um definitely you know um uh, it's tough uh it's tough and and she's you know and she's and she's the anchor of the show she's you know grace is the anchor of the show she's our window into this whole saga it's all being told through her eyes we get we I mean, get it's a her, little 
her voice at the the beginning of the show and the Oh my goodness, those opening credits. I wanted to ask you what you thought about those. I don't know what to make about those opening credits. Who is the little girl? I have to assume it's Jonathan's sister. That's what I thought too when we finally got to that. Yeah, I know, exactly. (laughs) No, I know. Because at first, like the first episode, I was like, is this supposed to be uh, Grace as a little girl? And why? Uh, And why this song? Uh, why dream a little dream i didn't understand thematically why that song was used i i don't think nicole kidman is a very good singer which didn't help i think she was just fine <laughs> like <laughs> yeah nothing more than just fine <laughs> she was she was adequate yeah um, <laughs> uh and then yeah no and then once once we learn about about Jonathan's sister, I was like, oh, that must be Jonathan's sister. But Jonathan's sister is also just kind of... She's Swept just a, under the rug. Exactly. She's just a little plot device that allows you to, to realize that Jonathan is, you know, not this wonderful, empathetic, connects with kids so well, uh, you know, oncologist. It's all it's all an act. It's all, you know, he, he, he doesn't give a crap that his sister died under his watch. The end. I mean... <sighs> you know the end of you know i I just it troubles me it troubles me (laughs) just 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 how a show like this could have gotten the amount of attention that it did when it was airing and you had people i mean i was when i was doing my my anger fueled how did this happen search and i went back i was looking at twitter feeds of people who were reacting to the 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 series finale and who are all just like what no what what helicopter what the fuck what is he why is he talking about his legacy what is going on what have i just done um and uh, you know and 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 i i also have to wonder that uh, you know is this a show that people would have really paid that much attention to had it not come out during a time in our history where people were literally like locked in their homes over Thanksgiving, you know, or whatever. And, you know, that's a good point. You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't think it would have gotten, I think it was just one of those. And there, I know there've been many shows that have kind of captured the zeitgeist during this strange pandemic period, you know, because people are stuck at home and they're looking for good entertainment. And, and, and I think a lot of, a lot of, good programming has come out of that but i i i feel like in a normal in a normal year in a normal world where we weren't all shut in for for you know we'd we'd all been shut in for almost nine months at the point that this show was airing Mm -hmm. i don't know if it would have i don't know if it would have gotten the same critical assessment that it was getting at the time i feel like I feel like a lot of people were just like, this is a lovely diversion. I get to see Central Park. I get to see human beings walk around talking with other human beings, wearing beautiful clothes. And it's kind of intriguing. And, you know, Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant together for the first time. That's exciting. But I, uh, I, I, you know, I just, I just, I have to wonder if there's a parallel universe somewhere where, where, where we weren't under COVID lockdown and that show happened, if if the critics would have picked up on the problems way, way earlier. earlier. Yeah, I don't know. I think the reason I watched it was because I had watched Big Little Lies and mm-hmm. 
I hadn't hated all of it. The first season <laughs> I thought was like pretty serviceable, not the typical mm-hmm. type of stuff that I would watch. Right. But it was a nice little like different thing that I could say like, I can participate in this conversation because I'm watching it. Right. And right, so right, when, right. when this show came along, agreed, I was like, all right, well, I'll give it a, I'll give it a shot. But mm-hmm. I will say, I think even more so, unfortunately, I feel like programs like this are always going to be made with the right names mm. attached. It doesn't yeah. matter if the content's good. I think, I think it's going right. to happen. No, that's a, but that's I think, a fair point. That's a really I think fair it's point. made me more critical of like, well, even if you're hearing good buzz about something, if you're really not feeling it, if something in your gut is telling you like, oh, that might not be that great, just you don't have to watch it. You, know, you can and stay I, out of the conversation. And I and I and I and we did learn a lesson from this because shortly after we got through the undoing, there's a there's a Showtime show called Your Honor, right? Or okay, um, mm-hmm. with Brian Cranston as a judge in Chicago and his uh his hapless son somehow uh gets murders involved in a, murders or... he murders not just anyone he murders like the child of a a, a major mob family in Chicago i mean like it's a really oh. it's a very wild premise um and it's it's not even mur- it's a it's a hit and run he 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 the, okay. he he strikes the 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 boy was on the the mobster son was riding his motorcycle and um Cranston's son had just his mother had passed away a year ago he was visiting his mother's grave and he was going to drive to school and he dropped his inhaler wasn't looking at the road and struck the struck this boy on the motorcycle and then instead of calling the police he fled and then once Cranston found out who he had killed now now this impeccable judge with an impeccable record has to find cover a way to this. cover it up. Yeah. And we watched a couple of episodes. And after episode two, we were just like, this isn't very good. We're not feeling it. This is, um, you know, it was one of those things where so much of the plot, it was... It, it, there was a thing that Roger Ebert sometimes used to write about when he when he wrote about movies he hated and he was like this movie is an idiot plot. This is like the entire premise of this movie is that someone is very dumb and you have to work around their dumbness to solve the problem and that's the plot. And that's kind of what's going what at least what we saw of your honor before we bailed is that you know this this poor boy who accidentally killed this other person is just so helpless and so incapable of, you know, either doing the right thing by turning himself in or following his dad's instructions on how to correctly cover it up. This, this, his, this, the character of the son, he's just, I mean, he goes and tells his teacher what happened. Oh I my mean, gosh. You know, and that was when we were like, no, 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 no. Gotta get call- out. We're, we're, we're calling it. We're not doing it. And so I, I, <laughs> I, I so I agree with you. I feel like if 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 the undoing has given me anything uh, beyond an appreciation for Donald Sutherland's magnificent eyebrows, <laughs> it is uh, it is the knowledge that it is okay to walk away from a show you're told is a prestige show if you if you're really hating it. You don't have to sit there and see if it gets better. You can just you can assume just say, it won't <laughs> assume it won't and say you know what i don't need to be like you said i don't need to be a part of the conversation about this show i don't my this i i can i can stay out of this one i can wait until there's 
until there's something else I I care more about. Like the yeah. crowns like the crown season 4. Like the crown season 4. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um but yeah, is there anything else you wanted to talk about with the undoing? I think I we covered a good I deal of like, it. I feel like we covered a good deal of it. I uh yeah, I you know, I remember when I emailed you saying let's do this and I I was like eyeballs green duster coat donald sutherland's eyebrows uh everyone's accents get messed up for some reason helicopter hammer in the dishwasher i think we (laughs) i think we i think we got it i think we got it i think that that should be the official uh imdb summary of this show i will uh suggest it to them they will ignore me Uh. i think that sounds great yeah (laughs) yeah I would say the best thing, I think, that when I walk away from programs or movies that I'm not entirely into, I mm-hmm. do have to remind myself that made a lot of jobs for a lot of people. This is true. And it was right mm-hmm. before lockdown. So it's it was like, right before. Right. Yes. Exactly. I'm glad no, it that's, served uh, a purpose, even a though it wasn't point. an artistic one. <laughs> it wasn't an artistic one. No. But it did. It did provide work and income for, you know, and, and I know you studied film. I studied film. Uh, working on a film set can be really exhausting and thankless and uh, just you got to really, really, really love it to want to do that as a career. So, you know, it's and, and it's and you're always hustling for work. So I'm right. I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that some New York filmmakers and New York film, you know, film professionals got to 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 stretch themselves with something like this. It's an ambitious show. Definitely. So, so I, I, I think that is a a really, really great point that you make too. So, so thank you, The Undoing, for that. Yes. Ending Um, on a positive note. Ending on a positive note. (laughs) Yeah. I do. I do love Donald Sutherland's eyebrows. I, I just. I do as well. I just think you know. So they were wonderful. (laughs) A recommendation uh, coming from me. Uh, Mm -hmm. at the end of this podcast is if you have not seen the music video for the kate bush song cloud busting Mm -hmm. go watch that it also features donald sutherland (laughs) oh wow oh that is exactly what i'm gonna do it is delightful up here that's amazing (laughs) oh that makes me so happy (laughs) he's my favorite part of animal house too i mean animal house is so great but I, i just love him as the as the as the professor in Animal House, uh, he's that's, a, he's that's, a fun time. He's yeah, he's great. He's, <laughs> he's I have yet to see anything he's done. That I mean, you know, like I the he's in he's in the the movie version of Mash. He's lovely. He's so good. He's he's uh I believe he's Hawkeye Hawkeye Pierce in that. So very cool. Yeah, very cool. Um, any recommendations from you or anything you would like to plug? thing i would like to plug so this is here's a recommendation from me and it's not a very timely one but um we you know tim and i have been we've been watching a lot of movies under lockdown and then we've also like when we need to split things up you know or maybe not invest two hours in something at night when we when you know i have to go to work in the morning um you know we've we've been looking for a series and we discovered um Mindhunter, which is a couple of years old at this point. They only did two seasons. Um, I have not watched that yet. It's it's really, really good. It's fascinating. It's about uh, the FBI in the 70s and the uh, development of the behavioral science unit within the FBI where they try to um, speak with 
uh, incarcerated serial killers and understand their psychology to see if they can prevent, uh, you know, future Charles Mansons, you know, for instance. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting, um, psychologically, they, they, you learn a lot about a lot of serial killers, uh, which is not necessarily like the, the biggest selling point of the show, but it is, it is interesting to, to see, um, just the way the Bureau kind of develop their techniques and they, hire a consultant who is an academic in the psychology field because it's just these two guys in that who you know two fbi agents who are just kind of interested in the topic but they don't really know how to direct interviews to get the exact right insights that they need in order to build profiles you know their idea is right. to build different profiles of types of serial killers and then you know just it and it's a, a little bit about bureau politics you know so the the you know, their boss is kind of like, I don't know if this is really a great use of our money, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then, so it's a little bit about that. And then you also get a little bit of the, the, uh, you know, the personal interior life of the three main characters. There's the, the young, the young FBI recruit who is, uh, very, very focused almost in a, you know, pathological way when he gets really invested in, uh, an interview with a serial killer. He just, you know, he's he, he pushes, tunnel vision. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, and how that kind of interferes with his ability to have a fulfilling personal life. And then his his uh, his partner in in the bureau uh, is an older gentleman. Has been with the bureau longer, and he and his wife have a, an adopted son who is showing signs of some sort of develop, developmental disability. Uh, it, it looks very strongly like he is on the spectrum, but of course in the seventies, nobody really knew what that was. So there, you know, that's kind of, um, that's kind of his plot line, you know, them, them dealing with the, the difficulty of raising a son when they don't really know what is, is going on with him. And then the third main character, the psychologist that they call in to consult with them and help them develop their interview technique, um, she is a closeted lesbian. And she... I didn't even know about that aspect of the show. I thought it yeah. was the two dudes. Is <laughs> the two dudes. And then she's, you know, she's not, uh, she's definitely a supporting character. She's definitely not one of the two, uh, you know, the two main protagonists, but she she's there and her story is interesting because when she was in academia, she was able to be open about her sexuality. And then when she, you know, she took this consulting gig at the bureau that she didn't, she thought it was going to be a short term thing, but then she finds the work so interesting. She sticks around, but kind of forces herself back kind of forces the herself back into the closet because the FBI is so, um, you know, old boy traditional and she doesn't know how, you know, and it's just like the early 70s. It's 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 risky for her to come out. So it's kind of a little bit about her her struggle with how to reconcile her professional ambitions with having a person. It's a little bit like, you know, the three characters all kind of struggle with the same thing, but on three different angles. Um, we really enjoyed it. We got to the end of season two and we were very sad that there was no season three immediately. Um uh, we've heard that maybe in the post-COVID world they will make a season three, but we've also heard that apparently the show was very expensive to make, so maybe mm. they've just they're just gonna call it after the two. Um, 
Either way, I highly recommend it. It was it was a lot of fun. There was not a single episode that we were like, hmm, I, that wasn't that interesting. I um, have heard very good things. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So definitely, I would definitely recommend that uh, if you're looking for a new... A new, a new easy binge, um, you know, with some interest, with some, uh, you know, heavy content, but, you know, yeah. very, very, uh, very well executed. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Right now I'm coming through Sopranos for the first time. Ooh. I am watching Community for the first time. Oh, I love Community. And I'm Community. Yeah. going through Doctor Who again because I haven't gotten to the Jodie Whittaker I remember, I remember so we were still, testing about this. Right, right, right. Yeah, you're, I'm you're, still slugging through. That's great, though. <laughs> that's a lot of fun. But yeah, <laughs> definitely I've heard really good things about Mindhunter, so. Yeah, so give it, yeah. Give it a shot, wanna, for sure. If you want to take a, a a break from from those other three and, and just, uh, you know, immerse yourself in, in serial killer land. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, that's what community's for, right? <laughs> yes. Exactly. Lightens the mood. <laughs> exactly. Community's fantastic. I, I loved community so much when it was on. I was I was very, very heartbroken when it was when it was gone. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. The showrunner showrunner is a little problematic, but the, Absolutely. The um, haven't gone yeah. to that part yet. No, no, but no. It no. Is but but uh, you know, but on the it, horizon. It's it's, it's a it, they're a delightful cast. They have lovely chemistry with each other. They really do. Um, and it was, it was, it was an absolute joy when they're firing on all the cylinders. It's just so much fun. So I'm so glad you're Agreed. watching that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Rhea, thank you so much for thank joining you. me. Yeah. Thank you for, uh, <laughs> to get for... this out of our system. Exactly. Yes. We've purged the undoing and I can, I can move forward. <laughs> I can move forward from this baffling experience that uh that that i went through with this show so right uh, thank thank you for thank you for letting me process it with you (laughs) happy to help yeah and thank you listeners for listening tuning in hanging out with us while we chat about this and many other subjects that came up throughout this podcast because that's what you're here for. You're here for the tangents. We know it. That's why we bring it to you every time. <laughs> um, thank you. Uh, since you're here, if you don't mind giving us a like, a subscribe, a share, all of that really helps us out a lot. If you ever want to interact with us in any formal capacity, you can always hit us up on our Instagram or our Twitter or our Facebook, or just go to our website, storagegreenbeacon.com, and you can find all of our social media tags there, and you can find all the other great content, all the other great articles and podcasts and videos. It's like a one-stop shop. But other than that, I think we're going to sign off. Good night, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. Bye. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.